If you have a Bible, would you like to turn to Luke chapter 9? It's uh, page 1039 in the, the Red Pew Bible. Last Sunday night, we, uh, we started our new series, Elevated Jesus, which is going to take us right through the book or the epistle of Hebrews, looking at the supremacy of Jesus, because Jesus is greater than, Jesus is superior to. Uh, but alongside that series, we're going to run another series called Controversial Jesus, which is going to look at a selection of the sayings of Jesus, the, the hard sayings of Jesus, the kind of things we sometimes wish Jesus had never said or hadn't said. And as I said last week, we're going to alternate between those two. So one week elevated Jesus, the next week controversial Jesus. So next week it's elevated Jesus again. And as I said last Sunday night, Haddon is going to take us through the next part of Hebrews chapter 1. Now as we introduce this uh, second series, Controversial Jesus, I do want to get you involved. Uh, so here's what I'd love you to do. I want you to think of some of the sayings and statements of Jesus that are pretty demanding or unsettling, or troubling, okay? So here's one, and I quoted this one last week. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even if they don't hate their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. So that's the kind of thing. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to have, you may know the person beside you, you may not, you may want to know them, you may not. Uh, but what I want you to do is turn to the person beside you and see if you can come up with any other difficult, hard, troubling, demanding sayings of Jesus. You don't need to quote them word for word, just a sense of what Jesus said. So have a chat to the person beside you, come up with another hard saying of Jesus, and then we'll get a bit of feedback, okay? Go for it. Introduce yourself to the person who said you if you need to, but go for it. Okay, I know I haven't given you very long, but let's, let's get a bit of feedback. I'm going to take the glasses off so I can actually see people. So give us a bit of feedback. Give me a, give me a hard, troubling, unsettling saying of Jesus. As I say, it doesn't have to be word for word. Go for it. Okay, uh, that's a paraphrase of it. So it's love your neighbor or is that love your enemy? Which one is that, Brent? Yes, brilliant. Anything else? Yep, give someone your cloak so... Yep. Rich young ruler one, okay. So what did Jesus said there? Go and sell everything. Yep. Okay, yep, thanks. It's easier for a rich person to enter, or it's harder for a rich person to enter than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle, yep. Any others? Let the dead bury their dead. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Drink his blood, need his flesh. Yeah. 
Yeah, the whole idea of being a fig tree, yeah. Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Here's a list. Many of them you've just shared. Uh, We're not going to look at all of these during this series, but this just gives you a flavor. So here's Nigel's at the start. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. Here's an interesting one. No one who puts his hand to the ply and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom. Then I think it was down there. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Or this, when you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. If you do not forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. Judge not, or you too will be judged. Here's a sobering one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And then in a pluralistic society, here's an incredibly controversial saying. I am the way, truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You cannot serve both God and money. How often should I forgive someone? Seven times? No, says Jesus. Seventy-seven. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And then Daniel. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Well, you, see, you see, when you see them all listed like that or all together like that, they are quite striking. Sobering even or, or intimidating, controversial. I, I love the Mark Twain quote that says, it ain't those parts of the Bible that I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts that I do understand. And you know, the thing is, many of those sayings of Jesus are understandable. They are clear. But accepting them, applying them, living them, that's a whole other issue. And yet for Christians, and as Christians, we must accept them and we must apply them and we must live them because we're called to. That is true discipleship. All of those things that I've just shown you on the screen and what you fed back to me, that is what it means. That is what it looks like to follow Jesus. And sometimes there is a sense in which we think or we give the impression that that these kind of things, these kind of sins, these kind of instructions, well, they are only for the really serious. They're for the super committed. It's almost as if they're part of an optional discipleship track, which you don't have to join unless you're ultra keen. Because surely you can be a Christian and ignore a lot of what Jesus taught 
or not so much ignore it, but at least dilute it down a bit. You don't, we don't really have to love our enemy. We don't have to forgive. But can we do that? Is that a viable option for someone who claims to belong to Jesus? Can you go for a version of Jesus light Christianity? What the wee bit underneath the Jesus light says, all the flavor, half the commitment. Well, that's partly what this series is going to be about. The teachings of Jesus, the words of Jesus, they are demanding. They are inconvenient at times. In fact, they're a downright nuisance most of the time. Because they go against the grain. They provoke. They are, in a very real sense, controversial. But we must not mute their shock value. We mustn't adopt a kind of take it or leave it approach. This what I just showed you a moment ago. This is discipleship. It's not small print. It's in big, bold letters on the pages of the Gospels. It's not hidden away for only a few people to find. It's written explicitly for all who choose to follow Jesus to live. And so in alternate weeks, over the next few months, we're going to wrestle with some of these sayings. I quoted Albert Muller Jr. last week and said that Hebrews was not for the theologically faint at heart. Well, this series, these sayings of Jesus are not for the faint of heart, full stop. So it's going to stretch. It may upset. It's probably going to get onto the skin at times. And yet here is the thing, and this is, this is what I really want to get across tonight. Here is the thing. This is life in all its fullness. This is what it means to find your life as opposed to lose it. This is Christian discipleship as taught and modeled by the one we're called to follow. Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 9 and to the first of those sayings, a familiar one, a fundamental one. In fact, it's one that potentially impacts and frames every other saying that we're going to consider. It was on the screen a few moments ago. Without this one, Without getting to grips with Luke 9, 23, we're going to struggle with every other saying of Jesus. Matthew also records this saying. Mark records this saying, but we're going to read it in Luke. And we're going to read the whole section just to set it in its context. So, if you don't mind, let's stand for the public reading of God's controversial word. Luke 9, starting at verse 21, page 1039. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and he must be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death 
until they see the kingdom of God. Grab a seat. If you, if you keep your Bible, if you look up at verse 20, because we kind of broke into that a wee bit, but the disciples and Peter in particular had just identified Jesus as, as who? Who had they identified? Who had Peter just declared Jesus to be? Messiah. And for many people, that, that title had military and political overtones and it implied triumph and victory. And so when Jesus goes on to talk about his suffering as the Messiah and his rejection and his death in verse 22, it would have confused the disciples. It would have confused anybody who heard. It would have intrigued them, but it would definitely have confused them because their understanding of a Messiah was someone who was going to bring victory and triumph but to go on and start talking about suffering and death and rejection, that just didn't make sense. But before anyone has time to query what Jesus has just shared, he goes on to explain that anyone who would come after him, in other words, anyone who wants to be his disciple, then they needed to embrace a similar way of life or rather way of death. And so immediately after talking about his own suffering, he calls upon his followers to participate and join him on a related path. And so he says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to be my disciple, here are, the, if you like, the conditions. Here's what it involves. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a radical call. It's an all-encompassing call, and yet it's the only call to discipleship that there is in Scripture. And it kind of consists of three elements, although they're not three separate elements, they're very much linked and connected and related. And so the three elements are self-denying and cross-carrying and Jesus following. But before we break it down, and as I say, they are all connected and linked, and it doesn't really make sense to break it down, but I'm going to break it down anyway. We need to know that, that Luke inserts a word that Matthew and Mark don't insert. Now, some of you know this word already. You know where I'm going with this because I've touched on it before. Luke includes a word that Matthew and Mark don't. But he includes a word that reminds us of the 24-7 nature of discipleship. A word that reminds us that being a Christian is not a one-off decision that activates some kind of cruise control mentality and facility in our lives. And what is that word that Luke inserts? Daily. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So this is about day to day. This is about day by day commitment. We've got to do this self-denying and cross-carrying and Jesus following each and every single day. Partly because it requires it and partly because this is all so unnatural. This makes no sense. This is really tough. Here's how one writer captures our challenge. Our conversion may have involved getting on our knees and praying the sinner's prayer, but our sanctification or our discipleship will involve white knuckles, sweaty brows, and tearful cheeks. It should be a daily painful process of purging where we submit our wills entirely, entirely to the Lord's. Now that's strong. 
But you get the point. Discipleship is a daily decision. A daily decision that requires daily surrender. And Luke, by inserting this one word, reminds us to keep that perspective. So let's take these three components. The first, self-denying. Let him or her deny himself, herself. Which, as I say, we all know is, is totally countercultural. I love the way Steve Timmis uh, puts this, and you need to read this carefully. In an age of instant gratification, denial only exists as a river in Egypt. That'll take a moment. But what exactly is self-denial? What does it mean to deny yourself? What does it mean? Well, let's be quite clear that it's not about simply denying yourself certain things. That might be part of it, but that's not the essence of it. This is not about denying yourself chocolate or a holiday or a new car for some good reason. No, this is about denying yourself your very self. But what does that mean? What did Jesus mean? Here's how F.F. Bruce put it over a century ago. Denying oneself is not a matter of giving up something, whether for Lent or for the whole of life. It's a decisive decision saying no to oneself, to one's hopes and one's plans and one's ambitions, to one's likes and dislikes, to one's nearest and dearest. Why? Here's the bet for the sake of Christ. As I said earlier, this gets onto the skin. This is hard teaching. Not, not my teaching, just what comes across in God's word is what discipleship looks like. It's really, really hard. Another writer has put it like this. Self-denial is a total rejection of all self-worship. So countercultural. A total rejection of every attempt to run your own life in pursuit of your own self-obsessed, self-glorifying dreams and ambitions. Or to put it more simply or succinctly, self-denial is when you reach a place where you say no to the desire to rule your own life. It's where you say no to self and you say yes to God. That is what to deny yourself means, to say no to self and yes to God. So it's about submission. Humble submission to the will of God. It's about echoing those profound words of Jesus. Not my will. Not my will, God. But yours be done. Back to the quote I showed earlier. It should be a daily painful process of purging where we submit our wills entirely to the Lord. It's not my will. It's not about me. It's all about you. Total surrender of self to God and his ways. And as I said 
And I'll say it again, the self-denial goes completely against the spirit of the age or of any age. Flies in the face of popular thinking, popular psychology, popular choice. We live in a world that says you should pursue exactly what you want. You should pursue what self wants without holding back, without exception, without restriction. And you should deny yourself nothing or very little anyway in the process. That's the world we live in. But Jesus calls his disciples to a radical alternative. And it is radical. Self-denial is controversial. And so the question I want to ask you tonight is this. I've been asking myself this during the week. And I don't know he's like the answer I'm coming up with. Who's in control of your life? Like, honestly, who's calling the shots? Who's in control? Who are we living for? Like, really living for on a day and a daily basis? This is challenging, and, but one of the things we must remember and keep in mind is what Jesus says immediately after this verse. He says this, For whoever would save his life's going to lose it. So if you want to hold on to control of your life, by all means do, but do you know something? You're going to lose your life. But whoever loses their life, whoever says no to self and yes to God, for my sake, he says, you are the ones that are going to save it. For what does it profit any of us if we gain the whole world have complete control of our lives, and yet we actually forfeit our souls. So in other words, this self-denial that Jesus advocates actually leads to self-discovery. Self-denial leads to true self-fulfillment. This self-denial results in the saving of your soul for all eternity and therefore to life everlasting in all its fullness. And it doesn't make a lot of sense in our world but it makes total sense in the real world. And that is a big picture perspective that I know I need to keep coming back to. And this is the reason it needs to be a daily exercise because I can kind of get there at certain points in my life, but I lose sight of this. I go through days, I go through weeks, I go through months where it's all about me, actually, if I'm really honest. And where I call the shots and I rarely refer to God. But this big picture perspective that Jesus says and says, listen, this is the way to save your life as opposed to lose it. So self-denying, saying no to self, yes to God, not my will, yours. But the next aspect of this continues to define discipleship. And as I say, these are closely linked and they follow on. So you come to cross-carrying. If anyone would come after me, says, Jesus, you want to be my disciple? You've got to deny yourself and take up your cross. So following hard on the heels of saying no to self is saying yes. Not only saying yes to God, but saying yes to death. And the first disciples were at a slight advantage whenever they heard Jesus say that because... In their culture and context, 
seeing people carrying crosses was a familiar sight. It's not a familiar sight for us. But it was a familiar sight to the disciples. And it meant one thing. It meant one thing only, and that was dead man walking. That's what it meant. People carrying their crosses were on their way to their execution. And that's exactly what Jesus invites his disciples to embrace. A willingness to deny self and die to self in order to come after him, in order to be his disciple. You see here, if you remember nothing else, please hear this. The cross is therefore both the symbol of our salvation and the pattern of our lives. It's the symbol of our salvation, but it has got to be the pattern of our lives where we are dying daily. Fred Craddock, great name in his commentary in Luke 9, puts it like this. A way of life that could be called cross-carrying would have to involve denial of self in the service of God. So this is why it all links together. It's about daily surrender. It's about daily sacrifice. It's something similar to what Paul urges the Christians in Rome to do. And these, are, again, are very familiar words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your true and proper worship. You see, willingly carrying a cross is like willingly climbing up on the altar to be slaughtered. It's about laying down your life as a living sacrifice, saying, God, I'm giving my life up for you. And again, although that's hard and although that's tough and that is demanding and it's costly and it's painful, what does Paul actually say? This is your true and proper worship. This is real life. This is what you were created for. You die to self, but you live for something or someone so much better and so much greater. So to be a disciple of Jesus, you've got to deny self. You've got to take up your cross and daily, violently, die to self. And then thirdly, you've got to follow him. It's a present imperative pointing to a continual process of walking behind Jesus, going where he goes, doing what he does. That's what it means. It's a bit like what the Apostle John said when he tried to capture Christianity. And he says, those who claim to live in God, you must walk as Christ walked. This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means submitting to his ways. It means submitting to his commands. It means submitting to his lordship. As Frederick Godet remarks in his commentary on Luke, the chart of the true disciple directs him to renounce every path of his own choosing so that he may put his feet into the print of his leader's footsteps. And so as we continue this series, the idea of following Jesus therefore means to take seriously every single thing that Jesus taught. That's what it means to deny self and pick up your cross daily and follow him. It's to take seriously every single thing he said and taught. Not just to be hearers of his word, but to be doers of it, to apply it, to live it, irrespective of how inconvenient it is or how controversial it is. 
And so let me just give you one example, and it builds on the rest of this series, but here's just one example of what this means. So whenever someone sins against you, whenever someone hurts you, your natural reaction is to lash out and get angry and hold a grudge. But a self-denying, cross-carrying, following Jesus' path of discipleship says, no, not my will, God. Yours be done. And so instead of getting angry and getting even and getting back, I choose to forgive. That's what, that's what this looks like in the everyday. Where I'm going to deny what I want to do in and of myself in this situation. I need to die to my selfish desire in this situation. I need to follow Jesus in this situation. And so that means in that situation, I forgive even my enemy. The first saying of Jesus is a big one. And as we close in a moment, we're going to sing all to Jesus I surrender. And this is a song of total submission and total surrender. But as we prepare to sing, and as we individually reflect on our own response to this controversial saying of Jesus, let me invite you to do three things. Let me invite you to consider whether you need to deny self afresh this evening. Because if you're honest, like I am trying to be, you recognize that you're taking back and have taken back some control of your life. That actually you're saying quite a lot of yeses to self as opposed to yeses to God. Do you need to deny self afresh tonight? Or maybe you need to pick up that cross again to signify your willingness to die. There might even be a specific dimension to that dying. There may be an area of your life that needs to be crucified because it is becoming a selfish thing and a selfish habit and a selfish pursuit. And so you need to crucify that. And finally... Maybe you need to resubmit the following Jesus that little bit closer because a gap has opened up between you and Jesus. A gap has opened up between certain areas of your life and aspects of your life where Jesus is no longer leading, where Jesus is no longer in control, where Jesus is no longer Lord. And so in the words of another hymn, Jesus I, my cross, have taken all to leave and follow thee. Destitute, despised, forsaken, thou from hence my all shall be. Can, can I honestly say that? Echo that? See, the call to Christian discipleship is not for the faint-hearted. It's not easy. And maybe that's why it's a narrow path less traveled. But it's a life-saving path that leads to adventure and leads to life in all its fullness. May God help us today, daily, to say no to self, yes to him, to die to self,
and to place our feet in the footprints of Jesus.